This is Creative to Creative. Together, we deep dive into the creative and production processes of leading creatives, finding out what makes them tick, how they do what they do, and the challenges along the way. This is Creative to Creative, powered by Motion by Design. This week, we're interviewing Sophie Pang. Sophie's built her marketing career inside some of the world's most recognized and respected brands, including Zero, the Commonwealth Bank of Australia, Deputy, American Express, and Morgan Stanley. She's recently set up her own marketing consultancy business, Front of Mind Marketing, to share her marketing experience and knowledge with early funded tech businesses looking to grow market share quickly. Hey, Soph, welcome to Creative to Creative. Thanks for joining us today. So fun to be here, Dom. I can't wait for this conversation. Thanks for having me. (laughs) So um, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Well, Dom, my name is Soph, as you introduced me, Sophie Pank, and um, I am the founder and chief marketing officer for Front of Mind Marketing. Marketing is a massive part of my life. It's been my career for over 15 years, but it's not who I am um, necessarily. It's it's what I do. And so a little bit about me. I am a mum of two boys. I um, am a pretty good wife and a pretty average cook. I live in Sydney on the northern beaches and health and fitness and beach is a big part of my life. And one of the reasons that I started my own business was to have the flexibility to be able to enjoy those things, including my two children, which I sometimes regret. But um, (laughs) I... um, I, I love the flexibility that comes with being my own business owner. So uh, why marketing? I started out in marketing um, because my older sister did it and I have shadowed so many things that she has done throughout her life and I didn't actually go to university. I was more about how do I get out there, get a paycheck and learn on the job and marketing was one of the first opportunities that I had and I believe it or not, absolutely loved it and found over the years that I had a pretty natural flair to understand the concepts of marketing and and implement them within the jobs that I'd done. So it was pure luck, I would say. (laughs) How does your sister feel about you landing into marketing? Do you have a better job than her? Like what's the the go there? Um, well, who's got, now who's I got do, better clients? <laughs> <laughs> I, I have my own business, so I think I've got a better job than her now. But um, no, she's a corporate big wig, and, and we did go um, side by side for, for a little while there. But um, it'd be interesting to interview her and see what, what she thinks. <laughs> a challenge v challenge, yeah, that would be great. <laughs> so tell us a bit about your background, like what sort of industries you've been involved with in marketing and sort of what has really been the highlight of your career in that space? I have worked primarily in financial services and I started my career in big corporations. I started in loyalty marketing and then moved across to client side um, from agency side and worked at Commonwealth Bank. From there, I was in credit cards, product marketing for about two years when I moved to the UK and continued marketing um, credit cards with American Express. So two really big, um, well-known brands 
that really cemented the types of frameworks that that I would use and best practice that that I would implement in years to come. When I was coming back from the UK, I said to a bunch of people, I'm so sick of working in these big corporations where you take an idea to someone and they say, yeah, we tried that 10 years ago and it didn't work and, you know, the idea gets shut down really quickly. And I thought, I feel like I've got more to give. And I decided that I was going to start my own business, went around, looked for a few mentors and my old CMO from my Combank days, a guy called Andy Lark, was now the CMO at a little um, scale-up called Zero, which is um, a pretty well-known brand now, but it wasn't back in the day um, when I was talking to Andy. And he said, look, I'll mentor you, but um, you're going to need some money to start your own business. Come and work for us over at Zero, and um, and then just come on as a contractor and let's go from there. And that started my love for um, fintech, and I had an amazing career at Zero. Absolutely loved it. It became a really well-known brand, and I still remember the day I was at a barbecue with my sister again, and I was introducing myself and someone said where do you work and I said oh, I work at a little company called Zero, and we're an accounting platform business and my sister turned to me and she said you don't need to um, describe who Zero is everyone who knows who Zero is and I thought wow what an incredible moment working for a brand that had to come in and challenge a market to move within three years to being a market leader that people even outside of small business owners knew who they were. And um, I've reflected on that a lot throughout my career. But from there, from zero, um, it was starting to get really corporate and I decided to move back into a smaller tech company. That's where I was for the last three years. And in November, I quit that job, took some time out over the summer and started my own business, which is front of my marketing, which is now um, based in Sydney on the Northern Beaches. And we're cons- I'm consulting back into fintechs and tech startups as well who are looking to grow their marketing strategy or, or just refine what they're already doing at the moment to ensure speed to market. I can sort of see working for banks and obviously big companies generally turning the ship, you know, in terms of some marketing ideas is, is a it's an impossible task and normally there are people above you just said they'll say fuck off and <laughs> or yeah we've done that 10 years ago like yeah we tried that so have you noticed a big difference in fintech because they're what's happening today type situation yeah i think um there's such an interesting world there where the banks are looking to the fintechs now for advice on how they're running their business and i think Fintechs are so interesting that they're coming in and challenging the traditional way that banks are running because they're so nimble and they're so customer-centric and they don't have a whole bunch of tech debt that's sitting there that they've got to unwind to try and, you know, be forth for, uh, you know, giving the best experiences for their customers. So the fintech space is incredible, and but the, the, the banks are still big behemoths. What I would say about the the banks is it's an amazing, like being in these huge organisations, they're an amazing place to build the foundations of your career. And one of the things that people, as a consultant now that people are looking for from me, is understanding like all those years of knowledge. If you're a fintech, how can you take that best practice and just 
hop, skip and jump forward, you know, 15 years really, really quickly because you've got all that knowledge of what happens within the banks, what happens, you know, within fintechs and how can you get to market a lot quicker. So so do you think fintechs are going to open up branches? Would just be like the real kick in the teeth of fintechs are like, we should start a branch. <laughs> do you think it's going to happen? <laughs> I love that. No, I hadn't, I hadn't even thought of that. The cost to serve of a branch is so high. Um, it's a pop-up think, though, right? Yeah. <laughs> a pop-up I branch. I, I think it's a great idea. Why not? And then but make the branches really cool. Yeah. You know, exactly. when you go in there, it's, it's, um, talks to the audience that they want to serve, which is those digital nomads and build the brand that way. I think that's it's, a great idea. Though. It would be trendy having bricks and mortar in 2024. <laughs> totally. I love it. <laughs> Just have all the hipsters hanging outside with their phones and their coffee and yeah. Gosh. Totally. <laughs> what do you love most about the fintech space and what sort of platforms do you enjoy using in that space? Is it mostly digital, you know, adaption of digital realm digital media and or do you do more of a diverse marketing strategy for them it's absolutely diverse and the reason for that is or the way that i that i work is with my clients it's all about starting with the customer really understanding who your audiences are it's b2b spaces that i'm working in and so really understanding the complex sales cycle because there's so many different people that are involved in a B2B process and it's different for for every product. So you need to know what your message needs to be at the right place, right time, marketing one-on-one basics. Once I've got the audience, I go out and I, I work with the sales team to understand what their pitch is and how we can improve that based on the audiences that we've got. It's really interesting in these young businesses that people don't understand what their brand pitch is and how they couple that with the with the product pitch. And they might be doing it really, really well in one-to-one sales conversations, but they haven't quite worked out how to make that a one-to-many approach that they get um, that narrative out. And there's a little bit of refinement that needs to happen in terms of like how to align it to the audiences. And then the other thing that I work with people on before we even start the marketing strategy piece is um, looking at their competitive landscape and what their unique positioning is. So are they out there shouting the same messages as their competitors and are they just going to get drowned in the noise or do they have a really unique voice in the market? And that comes back to like thinking about from a brand perspective, are we just talking about the product or are we talking about holistically what our vision is for the community, for the future, the type of environment that we want to create within a business for our employees so that they're really bought into the vision and all of those types of things because employees are just the number one brand communicator for you. If you can have your employees singing from the hymn books or then you're going to have a really successful business and it's not going to cost as much to acquire. So half your wardrobe is branded zero? Oh, 100%. (laughs) You should have seen the zero days were just so much fun because every single person at zero was so committed to the cause. Everyone wore the zero T-shirt. You'd walk down the street and people would stop you and thank you for the product. But they (laughs) they were just rocking the whole... um, accounting industry and making it a really cool place 
were work, to work and mm. for young people to get back into. So that was the best, literally the best um, example of um, employees being brand marketers. The other thing, um, if anyone's looking for a hack as to how they to grow their brand really quickly, is just making your team, um, giving them the autonomy to go out and have um, an opinion on what it is that you're doing. So, look, there's a piece of regulation that's changing over here. Have um, someone from your finance team go out and write a blog about it, an opinion piece on it, and get that out on their network. And it's just the more content that you've got out there, the more people that are aligned to the vision and talking the talk, you can always bring that back to the company and it's just a really quick and clever way to to build a brand and, and have a unique voice in market as well. So Yeah, and the more employees, the more content you can produce, really. 100%. And everyone, <laughs> that was so cool at Zero. Everyone was so passionate about what it was we were doing and it was all about just coming back to doing cool things for small businesses and everyone had an affiliation with the small business and, you know, their parents were small business owners. They worked in a small business, you know, so they had, they had a formed opinion that they could get to get out to the market and it just created this cult following. It was really cool, cool to watch and experience. Our brands, uh, motion by design and creative to creative, they're both done entirely by the team. It's the only thing that our clients don't have a say on. So at that point, they get full creative control over what they do. So the websites, the the content, most of it is whatever they come up with. And they're, they're coming up with some fun corporate video at the moment, which is going to be ridiculous and um, <laughs> make, make me look like an idiot. But um, <laughs> they, they did that last time and I was very unsure whether we should go live with it and I was like, is that damaging to our brand? But I was like, you know what? Stuff it. Let's launch it. And it actually did really well. We had lots of people being like, we want a silly corporate like that as well. Although none of, no one's committed to something as silly as we did, but <laughs> still. <laughs> but honestly, like the success from that is the authenticity that sits behind it, right? And people don't buy um, a product anymore. They buy a brand. And if you have an authentic identity, behind you and you're really committed to letting that out in every channel people are just going to fall in love with you because it's yeah you're cool so is your brand we'll do your work beachside <laughs> <laughs> or tan and tan and, my own brand. <laughs> tan and brands brand and tan i don't know something like that <laughs> here's yeah you you know what they say if you marry a builder your house never gets built um, it never gets finished. And my my own brand is MVP at the moment. I just launched the business to see if there was appetite for people using me um, as a consultant. And if if it takes off, then I think I'll come back and look at my own brand in a lot more <laughs> in a lot more scrutiny. At the moment, it's a it's a Squarespace. Um, font <laughs> yeah i can see that yeah and there's some there's definitely some issues going on with the usability of it you've got a website you're in the you're in the running right and like you're also in business to business and you know if people know who you are they yeah. know of you or they can see your history it's it's really it doesn't matter like you just yeah. walk in the room they know that they trust you because you've got a history they probably already know you you yeah. get clients from referrals and your own brand is always going to be this evolving beast, especially when you're starting out. I don't even know what our brand is anymore. And 
the, the language on our website, I update probably once a month, just try something new, give it a go. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Got to get out there and test it and see how people respond to it, right? Yeah, exactly. So what sort of awesome industry techniques that uh, have you learned the secret to working with what I would imagine pretty large budgets? Like, is it is it all ABC testing to to learn what works? Industry techniques. It depends. Okay, here, um, I'll try and make this not complicated, but it, it honestly depends make on it, the Make industry. it complicated. Make it complicated. <laughs> We've got smart listeners. Um, but it depends on the industry that you're there to serve, right? So when I went to deputy, our biggest industry that we were selling into and were our most loyal customers was the hospitality industry. And you go in and you learn about hospital business owners. Those guys have no time. And the whole concept of hospitality is that it's built on relationships, being hospitable. And that's how they want to be sold to. And that's, you know, it's a very, very different industry to market to and sell to, to your accountants who are online, they're at their desktop every day. And, you know, you can get in front of them with long form content or, um, you know, they love to come to events. Hospitality workers just don't, they don't have the time. They'll go to events if there's free beer or um, if you're a referral from a friend because it's such a tight-knit community and there's a lot of voice, um, you know, uh, references through through friends and stuff. So there isn't a one-size-fits-all solution. And and that's why I always, when I'm starting with my projects, I'm always starting with the audiences because I want to understand who they are as individuals and then the ecosystems that they live inside because otherwise you're just throwing good money after bad when you're, when you're coming out with your marketing strategies. Yeah. So in creative agencies, advertising agencies, I feel like we probably do the worst job advertising ourselves in a way. So there's a few things going on. Creative agencies and advertising agencies generally don't market. They sort of think it's a bit of a, a dirty thing and it's obviously business relationships and that type of thing. But then there's that next level of language on the website that everyone says we're unique we make we make unique stuff or and it's just all the same how do you see from a marketing perspective how one creative might stick out from the other if everyone's providing a unique service yeah 100 percent. okay well the first thing is and i've already said it is know your audience and come back to your existing customers and and spend time with them and say to them why did you choose me over someone else? Like, what is it that um, makes me stand out from the crowd? What I do with my clients is I go in and I just look at their website and I'm like, okay, if I'm looking at this, your value prop is you save time, you save money, and um, I don't know, give people more time, um, a better well-rounded life. And I go in and I look at their top three competitors and I look at what their unique selling proposition is. And if it says exactly the same thing, I map it um, on a chart and I look at it and I say, okay, there's an, there is a space in this industry to be talking about something completely different over here. It's a really simple exercise. It probably takes a day, but it means like you can play from an SEO perspective, you can play completely uniquely to what your competitors are doing and yeah everyone thinks that they're unique and they're saving people time and all of those types of things but that's not necessarily why people buy from you you've got to go back to that Simon Sinek 
whole idea of like the why and give, show your personality and all of those types of things um, I think is is more important. So the, the number two thing you said is website and then going back to your website. Oh, yeah. Don't, <laughs> don't talk about my website. Literally my website is up at the moment just as a business card. So to that keep, people to keep your front it. of mind. Yeah, exactly. Get me front of mind. But just to show that I'm credible and there is a person here and, um, you know, I've got an ABN. <laughs> Stop looking at my website. No, I'm, off, I'm off the website. I'm off the website. I've, I've read it all. It's, um, I, I, lo- I love the link between the domain name and the, and the tagline you've got at the top. That's, that's the, main, the main thing, right? Um, <laughs> so in your mind, how important is niching? It depends what stage of your business growth you're at. So what I would say is if you don't know anything about the audiences or like if you're launching a product for the first time, I would go out, launch with, you know, a minimum viable product and spray and pray and see who's attracted to it mm-hmm. and, and then see how they use your product. And then as you start to collect that data, I would say absolutely start to focus it in on the specific, whether it's demographics, it's firmographics or um, industries, depending on if you're B2C, B2B, and then go niche. And I think that's super important because people want to be, um, people, people want to feel like you are there for them, like you are built for them. And if you can personalize their experience and make it feel as unique as they are, then you're going to be more successful than, you know, the generalists. So there is, there's also like from a niching perspective, there's another way to cut it, especially in the tech world where there are people that are really au fait with technology and using technology in their day-to-day life. So when you're selling, you know, a piece of tech to them, they're the people that are most ready to buy. And then there's a whole other segment of the market that is completely scared of things like cloud. They don't understand how technology works, etc. They're nowhere near ready to buy. So you can be warming them up and bring them on a journey to make them more comfortable so that they move into your buy segment. But you don't want to be spending all your money on those people because your sales cycle will be way too long. So I think... Um, niching, there's absolute benefit to it when you've got enough data. Uh, go wide first and then and then really get segmented in your approach. Where do you think the marketing and media industry is sort of heading? Like I'm certainly sort of seeing a big drop in digital spend and a lot of trust being lost in digital media, whether it's Facebook, your Instagrams, that type of thing both from a client side and a business side, where do you think media and marketing is going? What do you think the next the next big thing is going to be? Oh, gosh. I am really not well equipped to um, answer this question well. But, you know, that digital experience, it's so, if I put my consumer hat on at the moment, it's so overwhelming. Like my Instagram and um, Facebook feeds, uh, have more ads in them than content from people that I've chosen to follow. And so I'm kind of exhausted 
as a consumer. Um, similarly with display, it's like it was great. There was cut through at the beginning, but now it's a lot of noise and it is really hard to get to get that cut through. It depends. I'm not a B2C marketer anymore, um, but in the B2B world, I think, and again, depending on the industry that you're going with, I think in-person is um, needs to make a comeback. Relationships, and, yeah. Yep. Yeah, and, and I think that's important because people are so burnt out from being so digital over the COVID period, and especially in B2B where you're selling to people and you've got to influence them and the sales cycles are a lot longer it's really important to be building a relationship and that's going to be um, the way that you sell. And I think, you know, networking is, is really important. The other thing that I'm following this trend at the moment around partnerships and just understanding what the role of um, partners, uh, a partner strategy will be. Um, And so I think that's going to be, you know, in the tech space, it's, it's kind of, it's had probably five or six years where it's been really, it's done really well in the partnership space, but I think there's a lot further um, that we can go. And the cost of marketing budgets are going down, headcounts going down in, in um, especially in the tech industry. And so I think we've got to be really clever in the way that we're um, getting in front of people and, and building the brand and, and the network, and I think partnerships is a really interesting way to do that. Bringing it back to the creative industry in that sort of world, I've noticed years ago, like in America, we've got agencies working more regularly with other agencies, and it's an open relationship where the client knows they're dealing with you know three agencies to produce the best work. And I think Australia are probably a little bit behind in that, where mm-hmm. they still do a lot of white label, or they don't tell the client they're outsourcing, or you know maybe maybe they've tried to do it internally or something like that. But I think Australia is probably catching up in that space a little bit. I think the, the partnerships thing is interesting, like, you know, finding other businesses that you align with and doing some, you know, I guess good with them is, is fantastic, whether it's a, a non-for-profit or a partnering brand or agency, it's it's a, it's a good platform. We've, yeah. we've de- we definitely find relationships, I think, are important in what we do. As you say, like the, the marketing burnout is it's it's definitely there isn't it like we did some marketing digital marketing and i was just like this is shit like i don't want to i don't want to see my own advert but you know we're in the industry where we always get the adverts right because that's what we're interested in we want the advertising agency adverts i think every every second post on my social is a digital agency trying to get me to sign up it's like fucking oath like oh i know i know we're just a number just a number in the process now, aren't we? <laughs> Personalization. Have you thought about starting a B2C brand? Like it's sort of something that comes to me quite regularly. It's just like, why don't I make a B2C brand? It would be so much easier than B2B. Like, you know, I've got all the skills and I think, you know, there's so many more customers out there. There's bigger niches. It would be, it would be an easy business strategy, like sell t-shirts yeah. or hats or mugs. I don't know. <laughs> totally. Um, Look, it's it's actually really interesting. Um, so my neighbour and I are in very similar stages of life and on the same day we came to each other and said, right, I've got my business idea and mine is B2B and hers is B2C. I, um, 
I love B2B. I'm, I'm just passionate about it now. And um, the budgets in B2B are really good as well. And the, the um, lifetime of, of a relationship is a lot longer than B2C. So they're just very different strategies, whereas hers is got to get out there, um, you know, if I get one sale from that person, fantastic. If I can get them back, awesome. But it's it's a lot more mass market. So I don't think about B2C very often anymore. And I think, do you know what? I'm such a relationships girl that maybe that's the reason that um, the B2B is, is more interesting to me. And I love the complexity of a buying cycle in B2B as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Do you sort of focus, you know, you were talking about niches before with, you know, speaking the right language to the right people. How many of your clients sort of have multiple messages and multiple funnels for, for different demographic? Like, is that important, especially in tech world? Yeah, absolutely. And if they don't, that's what we're working on is, um, is making sure, first of all, they understand who the audience is that they're selling to. And then understanding who the audience is that they need to influence in the buying cycle. And there's absolutely different messages that need to be served up at different stages of, of the sales relationship as well. And marketing is a really important part um, of, of curating those messages because you don't, in the buying cycle, you don't just need the salesperson talking to them. There's really smart marketing tactics where you can still be serving them with content um, etc. because you know that this is the process your clients are going down. The majority of them think like this. as So they will have objections at this point. They will need more information on this at this point. And marketing has a really important role to come in and um, create that content or that experience while the salesperson is um, is also trying to sell to them. So Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Keep building trust. Yeah, and give out that free ebook. <laughs> Or call video. Yeah, I'm, all, exactly. I'm all about videos. I'm right. I hate written content. <laughs> Who's got time? Although everything's turning to video. So, I mean, I think I think video is still a growing industry and I think motion graphics in particular is, is an industry that I think we're going to dominate the world, honestly. Like there's screens going everywhere. There's opportunity for media and, and animation and, and video combined is like it's always going to be the best storytelling. Like I'm a deep believer that. You know, Me motion too. graphic artists will run the world probably within the next five years. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, I'm, I am so on board with that. And the, um, just like you, it's so awesome that you're at the, the front of this because I remember we have, we had a, a deputy, we had an in-house, um, design team. And when our motion graphic designer went on leave, pretty much the whole marketing team just went into a deep, dark depression because like the quality of the work and like just how beautiful um, you can portray a story and really even just really simple um, motion graphics, the cut through is just incredible, but it also brings your brand to life in such a beautiful way as well. So I've yeah. actually met some of the uh, motion graphic artists from zero. So they, they attended oh. a conference I went to uh, last year. It's interesting because like a company like that, you wouldn't think they might have motion graphic artists on the team, but they had like three or four. It was just like, wow. Okay, cool. Honestly, the, um, the amount of investment that went into the hub, which is the um, design team, the design team um, was the same size as the marketing team. And 
it was because that visual identity was so important. There was full-time videographers that would travel around the world, be doing customer case studies. The motion graphics was like just a part of who we were as a business and that visual identity. Talk about smoke and mirrors as we were trying to build a business and keep up with product development and all of that type of stuff. It was something that com- competitors just couldn't emulate. It was it was just incredible. And, yeah. I feel like it was probably quite key to the success from what I believe in zero targeting creative agencies because they were producing such creative work themselves. Yeah. I think that was that was the driver. Yeah. And yeah. the creative, to add to that, the, um, the creative team was a core part of the strategy and the creative team understood the strategy. They knew the product inside out. They knew the customer's pain points inside out. And that's what led to such beautiful work being done is because it wasn't just a brief that was being thrown over the fence. It was a real partnership um, in the way that, that the creative was coming to life. And the design team knew the customers just as much as the customers knew the design team, you know, like because they were they were at all of the zero cons. They were there producing content. Um, it was really beautiful. It was amazing. How important do you think the creative side of it and the design side of the marketing journey is in terms of brand or loyalty or trust or Oh my gosh, incredibly important. Um, from a marketing perspective, whenever we were doing a kickoff, I would always have my creative team in at the beginning where I'd come in and I'd, I'd brief the team on what the problem was and then they would be a part of the solution. And I think more than ever they need to be at the beginning of the journey uh, because, as I said, like if you've got a really incredible design team sitting around you, they've got the best ideas, they're seeing what the trends are, they understand the customer um, as in-depth as you do and you just come up with the most beautiful creative concepts and execution off the back of it because um, they're just part of the, they're a key part of the team. They are the team. Um, do you often, especially in larger organisations where there's, you know, bigger KPIs and they're worried about cost per lead and cost per customers, mm-hmm. how, how much butting heads did you guys have in terms of, it's the creative's fault, you know, the creative shit or the design shit or the, the marketing strategy and the audience is wrong. Like how much, how much of marketing versus the, the creative side was going on in, in those big organizations? Oh gosh. In the big organizations, I just shudder at the way that we used to treat our agencies. Um, it, it actually makes me sick and it was, I don't, I'm hoping that it's changed um, in terms of, how that client relationship works. The last 10 years I have been, had internal um, agencies, like design agencies that have been working with us. And it's because we're so in bed with each other and we're such a partnership. It's never about this didn't work because of this or because of you. It was this didn't work because of this. And that's a learning that we're going to implement into the next round. And it was an opportunity to improve rather than point fingers. 
So, look, I really hope that people don't treat their agencies the way that I used to treat them when I was 25, <laughs> starting out my career in these big corporates because I just want to go back and slap myself. <laughs> As a holistic thing, I think it's changing somewhat. But I think um, on the flip side of that, it's all about the relationships. So, like, if, if a creative agency, for instance, we have great partnerships with digital agencies and tried a few and we got burnt and then you, you find a couple who will actually provide the results and then it's fine. Right. But, um, yeah, yeah it's, it's about finding the right people to align with, I think. hundred um, And it goes back to that idea of partnerships and why I think it's an interesting strategy to watch in the B2B space from in marketing. You want to be aligned to people that think the same way, have the same values as you and, and have the same ambitions. And um, that goes to to choosing an agency and the creative teams that you're working for as, or working with as well. So we've got um, a bit of a fast five type thing. Um, uh, and then we've got one final question. So it doesn't have to be super fast. You just, you know, <laughs> go as you go. <laughs> Do you prefer to work in a team or alone? Team. It seems like a really weird question asking someone who runs a company by themselves, right? <laughs> and then- I know, but I, I specifically am choosing my clients um, where there's an environment that I can be part of a project group as opposed to um, working on my own because as a marketer, working on your own is just like, whoa, there goes your creativity. If you don't have someone to bounce with, um, you're dead. If you weren't in the creative and marketing industry, what would you do? I'd, okay, if I had money, I'd flip houses um, or I would own a cafe so that I was a part of the community. Both very difficult jobs. Um, <laughs> if you were a type of chief. I'd probably be really shocking at as well. <laughs> Which is why I'm just going to stick with marketing. <laughs> Unless your sister goes to um, a cafe owner first. Then <laughs> if you're a type of cheese, what cheese would you be? Oh, how do I take this one? Uh, okay, definitely a sharp cheddar. Nice. <laughs> Organised or messy? Organised. And your favourite font? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I don't even know what my new font is for my company. Can you ask that question again and I'll tell it to you in one whatever word? Com- whatever comes with Squarespace is the default <laughs> font. Is that the go? <laughs> Just shut up. Montserrat. Nice. And uh, the one final question what advice would you give to your past self or someone starting out in, in your industry? Work for a company that does marketing really, really well that you will learn from. Don't work for a company where you've got to figure it all out yourself because you won't have the foundations of best practice to take you through your career. Nice. That's really good advice. I started as a, um, in mark when I was in this company, they moved me into the marketing team to start my career. But um, I was working in HR, and um, and then I got moved into like a proper marketing team. So that was good. But mm. 
I didn't have a direct line into marketing from the beginning of my career. I jumped around for a bit. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us and uh, giving us some awesome answers.